Hey guys, it's Heaven from Just a Grown True Crime, and today I'm going to be telling you about this app called Anchor. It helped me start my podcast, and it can help you start yours. Anchor is a free app that lets you use it from your phone or your computer. So if you want to do it on the go, and you want to just record, you can record one. Anchor will also distribute your podcast for you on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so much more to get your own podcast out there. You can make money from your own podcast with no minimum listenership. So it's everything you want in just one podcast. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. I did. What are you waiting for? Welcome back, my true crime gurus. You already know. It's Heaven from Just a Girl in True Crime. And today, or tonight, we are going to be talking about Ronald Clark O'Brien. Okay? Now, I heard I heard some things about this case and since it's October, we're going to be doing a lot of like Halloween murders and urban legends. And we're just going to go. So there wasn't much I could find about his background. Basically, I found that, you know, he lived with his wife, um, Daneen, in Deer Park, Texas, with their son, Timothy who was born on April 5th, 1966. And he had a daughter named Elizabeth and she was born in 1969. Ronald worked as an um sorry y'all know I'm bad with words. Optinican at Texas State optical in Sharpstown, Houston, and he was also a deacon at Second Baptist Church, where he sang in the choir, and he was in charge of the local bus program. Um, that's all I really found on his background. Like, I really checked, I, like, tried to find, like, his early life, and there wasn't much on it, right? So, Let's hop into it. Okay. And if nobody knows what he did, he was the man who killed on Halloween. Okay. We'll just read a little backstory real quick. They say a little rain never hurt anyone. So when it started drizzling on the night of Halloween in 1974, Ryan Clark O'Brien decided he'd still take his children trick-or-treating. The family only ventured into a few neighborhoods before heading home, but something tragic happens at the end of the night, which we're going to get back. We're going to go back. We'll get to that in a little bit. Um, they, I, like I said, they lived in Deer Park, Texas, and it was a middle-class suburb of Houston. Those who knew Ryan considered him to be, you know, a model citizen, and one pastor actually described him as a good Christian man and 
an above average father. All right, so we're, they're setting the bar pretty high. <clears throat> but in reality, Ryan had a very difficult time holding down a job. He was employed by 21 different companies over a 10 year period and fired from each for negligence or fraudulent behavior. In the fall of 1974, the 30-year-old Ronald was on the brink of being fired again from his, um, fired again after his employer in Texas State Optical suspected him of stealing money. His take-home salary of $150 a week barely covered food and rent, and it was later discovered that he was more than $100,000 in debt. And he also had defaulted on several bank loans, and his car was on the verge of being repossessed. Whether out of greed or desperation or both, Ryan concocted a twisted plan that would alleviate his financial woes and even allow him to live a more comfortable life. He'd carry it out on Halloween in 1974. So, well, let's see, now you're probably saying, what happened on Halloween for people who don't know this case? Well, I'm about to tell you after I take a drink. On October 31st, it began like any other Halloween night. Although Ryan had never shown a real interest in Halloween before, this year, he was eager to take his children trick-or-treating. Jim Bates, a family friend, and his two children joined the O'Brien family for the evening excursion. At one house, the children went door-to-door -door but received no responses. Ryan, I'm not Ryan, I'm sorry, Ronald remained behind the group. And after a minute or so, he eventually caught back up with them, holding five giant pixie sticks, you know. Not like them little teeny weeny ones that you get at the store, them people give you. Pixie sticks, oh my god, let me tell you, they were the best thing in the world, okay? They were so freaking good. I hated how small they were. So when Ronald came back with this big pixie stick, a sweet and sour powered candy that came in a straw-like tube. He claimed that neighbors were actually home and handing out expensive treats. And when they arrived back to the Bates house, Ronald gave each of the four children one candy and then handed the last one to a random trick-or-treater who knocked on his door. Oh, man, guys. Y'all know I hate doing children cases, but this is what it is. So, right before bed, Ryan told his children that, you know, you can have one piece of candy. His son, Timothy, actually decided on the pixie stick, and then he later complained 
he later complained that the candy tasted bitter. So his dad, Ronald, gave him some Kool-Aid to help wash it down. Just 30 seconds after he left Tim's room, I heard him cry to me, Daddy, Daddy, my stomach hurts. Ronald later told police he was in the bathroom convulsing, vomiting, and gasping, and then he suddenly went limp. You know, he called, his dad called the police, explained the situation, obviously, but unfortunately, Timothy died en route to the hospital less than an hour after eating the candy. Now you're wondering, what? How, how did he die from a pixie stick, right? Well, when Timmy's body was brought into the morgue, the medical examiner recalled the scent of almonds coming from the boy's mouth, often a telltale sign of cyanine poisoning. Did I pronounce that right? Cyanine? Okay. Um, an autopsy later confirmed that Timothy had consumed enough potassium cyanide to kill two or three grown men. Police were unable police were able to retrieve the other fourth pixie stick, all of which were thankfully uneaten, and determined that someone had replaced the top two inches of each with um with the traces you know of the cyanide investigators had ronald and bates retract their steps from halloween night you know they sat him down there like tell us the houses you went to where did you get these big pixie sticks from but um ronald actually gave conflicting accounts as to which house handed out the poisoned candy they eventually you know because police do what they do you know they snoop into everybody because normally if something happens to a victim the last people who were seen with them you're looked at heavy because you were the last to see that person alive so after they dug into ronald's background they soon, soon learned about Ronald's financial problems and discovered that he actually had taken out multiple life insurance policies on his children. They also found a piece of adding machine tape. On it, Ronald had written down the amount of each of his bills. The total came to almost the exact exact amount he stood to collect from the insurance proceeds. As police dug deeper, they also learned that Ronald had inquired with several chemical companies on where to buy cyanide and jokingly asked how much it would take to kill a person. That's seriously not something to joke about. They found a pocket knife in Ronald's home with candy residue on it, suggesting how the candy might have been contaminated. Although Ronald played a part of a grieving father, 
and maintained his innocence. After he failed a polygraph test, he was eventually arrested on November 5th in 1974 and charged with his son Timothy's murder. I I just don't know how you can have kids. Like, what? I'm not able to imagine a crime more rehensible than someone killing his own child for mother, Clyde DeWitt, a former assistant district attorney in Houston who worked a case, who worked on the case, tells A&E True Crime. This is actually where I got my information from A&E. So, now let's talk about his convictions and appeals. It's not a very big, you know, it's not like a very big story. Luckily, his daughter didn't eat that pixie stick, and lucky, luckily, Bates' children didn't eat the pixie sticks as well, right? So, according to Johnny Johnson, a forensic psychologist and private investigator, poisoners as a group typically lack empathy, evidenced by the premeditated nature in which they kill and the cold calculating strategy they often use. Poisoning is also an instrument for someone who is kind of cunning and sneaky, not somebody who is going to be physically or verbally aggressive. They are also more likely to be polite behind the scenes, and as a result, they tend to fool people, Johnson tells a true crime. But Ronald's days of fooling people were over, and on June 3rd, 1975, less than an hour of deliberation deliberations, a Harris County jury convicted Ronald Clark O'Brien of murder, and they actually sentenced him to death. After being found guilty, Ronald appealed his case multiple times, twice to the Supreme Court. Back then, the constitutional issues surrounding the death penalty were far less settled than a case than is the case now. Ronald's attorney had quite a bit of a bit to work. Ronald's attorney had quite a bit to work with, says DeWitt. DeWitt wrote the belief for Ronald's final appeal in 1979. The facts were extensive and horrible. As I recall, the last of my oral argument to the Court of Criminal Appeals is something like, if these facts do not support the jury's death sentence, there will never be, there will never be facts that will, says DeWitt, who says he has since developed misgivings about the death penalty. In the end, all appeals were denied, and Ronald was executed by lethal injection on March 31st in 1984 at the Texas State Penitentiary in Huttsville. What is about to transpire in a few moments is wrong. I would forgive all who have taken part in any way in my death. And those were Ronald Clark O'Brien's last words. So, Ronald has some very, um, some various nicknames. 
the man who killed Halloween and the Candyman. Never confessed to his crimes, but there are theories as why he chose Halloween and poisoned Carrie to carry out his murder. It is thought that he was aware of, you know, some urban legends about Halloween poisoners and cynically assumed that his use of cyanide lace candy would deflect suspicion from him to some anonymous boogeyman. David Sal, a culture expert on Halloween and author of Fright Favorites, 31 Movies to Haunt Your Halloween and Beyond, and that's what he told A&E True Crime. Nearly 50 years later, Ronald's legacy continues to haunt those familiar with the case. I spent a month in my life working on it, says DeWitt. It is also burned into my brain, as you can imagine. In a 2004 interview, former Harris County Assistant District Attorney Mike Hinton said, O'Brien is the man that ruined Halloween for the world. And then David Sal says that despite O'Brien's horrific crime, Halloween shouldn't be feared. There is no general correlation in America between the holiday and increased crime. In particular, the widespread fear of poison or booby-trapped candy is an urban legend without a real basis. Huh, man. And that's really the story of um, Ronald Clark O'Brien. Um, my oldest, my youngest hasn't gone trick-or-treating yet, and I feel so bad. I'm sorry, he went once, and then COVID hit, so we didn't go last year. But my oldest is six, and, you know, he always tells me, Mommy, can I have a piece of candy? And I remember hearing this when I went trick-or-treating. You know, my parents would always tell me, No, I have to check your candy before you eat it, and I have to tell my my kids the same thing, especially my oldest, and I'll be like, can I have a piece of candy? And I'll be like, no, honey, I have to check your candy. Um, where I used to live, it was a small town called Johnstown, Pennsylvania, because that's where I'm from. I literally said I lived in a fishbowl. I remember I took my siblings out trick-or-treating one night, and, you know, I was like, we can't eat the candy, and we came home. And we dumped the candy on the floor, and I was, like, looking through my sister's um, Halloween candy, and there was a big razor in the bag. And I was like, huh. And then my parents were like, see, this is why we always have to check your candy, because you never know. And it was just, like, a big freaking razor, like, just sitting in the bag. But guys, that is it. Um, for that, I hope you enjoyed. I'm about to... Did you not enjoy my true crime, Austin? Um, I'm actually about to re-upload my... Re-record my video for my YouTube channel. I did this. This will be my third time. But my kids are sleeping, so hopefully it'll be easier. If you want to check that out, you can go follow me on YouTube or subscribe, not really follow. Um, it's called Just a Girl in True Crime, obviously. You can send me a Gmail at justagirlintruecrime at gmail.com. 
You can follow the Instagram, Just a Girl in True Crime. Um, that's basically it. But let me tell you what's on the agenda for Wednesday. So, we have some urban legends. And I wrote a whole bunch down. And we're probably going to do five. So here are the five we're going to do. We're going to do Dudley Town, Arizona Skinwalker, The Thirteenth Child, The Licked Hand, and Bunny Man. So that's something to stay forward to. I might actually just pre-record that and upload it Wednesday. And then what's cool, now I'm just rambling, I made a true crime list of all the people that I want to cover. I did one from mostly, I did one from every state, so I just googled, like, true crimes in, like, the United States, and next week, we're going to Alabama, and we're going to be doing Thomas Warren Wentz Hant, um, don't know who this person is, but we're just going to move down the list, um, unfortunately, we're going to have to cover freaking the toy box killer, which I'm not looking forward to, one bit. We're going to cover, you know, John Wayne Gacy, BTK, or Dennis Lynn Raider. We're going to cover Ed Gein, um, Robert Hansen, Ed Kemper, Ted Bundy. He's in here somewhere. Joel Rifkin. Um, who else are we going to cover? Israel Keys we're going to cover. We're going to cover a lot. Um, we are going to cover Charles Manson as well because um, I'm obsessed with Charles Manson. Don't know why. Everybody has a favorite serial killer. And if you don't, are you really that into true crime? What are you laughing at? So yeah, that's a thing. We have a couple of female murderers in here, um, because I want to want to do some more female murders as well. But guys, that is it. Thank you for all of your love and support and making this podcast grow. I can't do it without you. You guys already know. Remember to spread love and not hate. All right. I'll. Talk to you Wednesday. Well, I'm pre-recording probably after I get off this one. And then, you know, we'll just get these out. Boom, boom, boom. But happy October.